Returning to the program, as we promised at the top of the show, is our old pal Sean Mitten, a veteran, veteran of <laughs> broadcasting, uh, who is always uh, entertaining and informative, and welcome back, Sean. Hard to believe I'm 130 years old, isn't it? <laughs> and, you know, Ashley, since you said that, I, I have to bring our listening public the bad news that we reported last year, the oldest woman in the world, Maria de Jesus in Portugal, she passed away in the last week at age 114. So... I really am the oldest person alive. That's exciting stuff. <laughs> Apparently you are. What do you do at that age? You, do people just wheeling you around in a wheelchair? They take you to bar mitzvahs and parties? And uh, In my experience, once you get to be about 110, <laughs> you are, you're severely limited in your activities. I would imagine that uh, things like swimming, running marathons, uh, I don't know, cliff diving, things like that, probably out of your reach at that point. Well, by the time you get to be about 90, those are out. <laughs> <laughs> But I guarantee you, by 114, they're definitely out. Isn't 114 the new 90? Wasn't that? <laughs> isn't that how that works? Well, I must say, we one of our oldest interviews, possibly our oldest interview we've ever done, was with uh, Norman Corwin, age 95, sharp as a tack, you know, brilliant guy, and and he was sort of joking at the fact that he's not worried about his age because his old man lived to be 112. Holy smokes! So he's got another 12 years left to. He's got a lot. <laughs> Anyway, Why can't I, I be his son? I don't know. I don't have I don't have those genes either, so I'm I'm hoping for the best. I actually everybody in my family died right around forty four, so I'm a little concerned right now. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> uh you know, speaking of nonagenarians, uh and you are a sports guy, having talked sports in the Pacific Northwest for so many years, Slingin' Sammy Baugh passed away in two thousand and eight. And I remember my dad talking about Sammy Baugh. But I didn't know too much about him. I guess this guy was the, the pioneer of the forward pass in football. Yeah, yeah not only that, but uh, back in those days, they played both sides. So at one, one year, he led the league in touchdown passes, interceptions, and punting average. So the guy was a complete stud. And <laughs> I guess. He, didn't, he wasn't the guy who invented the forward pass, but he really revolutionized it. And that's when they actually started having formations and people actually running routes instead of saying, okay, you see that cow over there? Okay, go there and take a left. So... Yeah, he, I went on Wikipedia to try and try and look this forward pass thing up, and, and judging by what it said, the turn of the century, college ball lost like you know eighteen guys killed, and yep. there was such there was an outcry in the country to like ban the playing of football, and I guess Teddy Roosevelt himself uh, stepped forward to say no, 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 we don't want to ban it, but you guys better get some rules together here. Yeah, he was a he was a big football fan. And I don't, I don't know if you saw the movie Leathernecks. It was a George Clooney thing. and Did not. Not a very good movie. But at the beginning of the movie, it shows them playing football around that time. And literally, you would get tackled, and then nine, ten people would pile on top of you and just start beating the you-know-what <laughs> out of you. So, I mean, really, it was, a, it was a ruthless. It was like the Old West for a time. And basically, the president came in and said, if you guys don't clean up your act, no more football. So then they started coming up with rules. But it took... Uh, 20, 30 years before the forward pass was revolutionized, although it had been around for quite a while, Sammy Baugh is really the guy who, who, who brought I, it to the forefront. I Frankly, I don't understand that because I know in some sports, rugby and things, I guess when rugby, they can't do a forward pass. I don't know. You can't. Well, if you, even if you look at football today, you know, here we are in 2008, 2009, there are still teams, you know, if you look at the service academies, you look at some of the teams, there are still teams that never pass the ball. I think, you know, teams like Army, Navy, not Air Force to the same extent, extent but they'll only throw the ball six or seven times a game. So, to this day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they'll, they've got, you know, they've got different schemes that they'll, you know, they'll have three or four running backs. They'll try to confuse you. But a lot of times they can't bring in the best quarterbacks with the best arms. So they have to play the wishbone. They have to do some other type of offensive trickery 
or trickeration, I think, as Chris Berman once said, <laughs> in order to in order to stay in the game because they just don't they don't have the skill players and um, they don't have the talent level that say an Oklahoma or a Texas has. Well, it's funny because I, I'm I'm old enough, and I think you probably are too, uh, old enough to remember that you know that the past really didn't come in to its own until really. I would say the AFL in the 60s really kind of they started passing like mad. Yeah. And the public loved it. Yeah. You think of guys like Joe Namath and Johnny Unitas, these guys that really kind of kind of brought that out and made the game exciting because with before the AFL that that's basically was, you know, big, you know, fat offensive lineman <laughs> who could barely move. You hand it to the fullback, you hand it to the halfback, you run straight up the middle, you gain three yards, you go back into the huddle and then you run the exact same play. <laughs> Well, I guess that was what Woody Hayes is famous, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. Yeah. Well, he's also famous for smacking a, <laughs> an opponent right in the face, too. And that's pretty much it for Woody after that. Yes, a guy came on the sidelines, yeah. an opposing t- player, and, and Woody Hayes popped him. Yeah, I can't remember which bowl game that was. But, yeah, he basically <laughs> just smacked the guy and grabbed his helmet, and Woody was not back to Ohio State the next year after that. Remember, remember the takeoff of Saturday Night Live? No. John Belushi playing Woody Hayes? No, I did not see that. <laughs> they went to an interview with him, purportedly after he was in retirement now, and he's playing checkers with his wife, Gilda Radner. <laughs> and every time he jumps, it's like, ha! <laughs> and then she does a move where she jumps about four times and he pops her knucks her off the chair. I could see John Belushi pulling that it off. Was, it was a good moment. That was a wild time back then. I, I remember that clear as day, except I, can't, I cannot remember the team. Maybe we could look that up during a break or something. But that was one of the, if you think about moments in any, in football history period, yeah, clearly that was one of those ones where, I mean, he was such a great coach for so long. And although, <laughs> well, he, I guess his adrenaline was up. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> the apparently, guy came up to the bench. He just, he got involved. Well, I, I know, I think, I think the reason for that, he thought his player got hit late by this oh. guy. And so that's why he gave him the pop. Although. You know, like I say, probably not the smartest thing Woody's ever done. Not on national television. No, no. you're right. It was a bowl game and everybody was watching. <laughs> you are a sports expert, I would say, at this point, having covered it for so many years. Uh, any any interesting things you that pop into your mind looking back on this past year? Oh, you know, th- I think the thing that strikes me the most is how little I cared about the Olympics. Um, yeah. There was, in- you know, there was interesting hype politically and with the pollution and all and, and the things that they did to bring those pollution levels down. I kind of thought that the peripheral, the things leading up to the Olympics were kind of interesting. But I I was not all that interested in Michael Phelps. I thought Usain Bolt and his three world records. I thought that was great. But I really found myself watching very little of the Olympics. And mostly I've become an ESPN news guy when it comes to the Olympics. I, I want to see a, a 60 second snippet. Uh, I don't really care to watch the swimming. I, you know, I've got better things to do with my time. I think the other big news during the Olympics was the USA basketball team finally reestablishing its dominance and once again kicking people by, you know, 20, 30 points a game. But um, in terms of the year overall, you know, I, you probably know I'm a big tennis guy. I thought that the Wimbledon final uh, between um, Federer and Nadal, you know, which we went to 9-7 in the fifth set, I thought that was that was pretty incredible. And I thought. You know, the fact that even though I don't really like the Patriots, the fact that they were 17-0 going into the Super Bowl, playing a team that kind of, you know, had to win three or four road games just to get into the Super Bowl and the Giants, I, I thought that was probably one of the biggest upsets in sports. I don't think anybody saw that coming. That was the last-minute deal. Yeah, yeah, that was Plexico Burris, 
who now is in all kinds. I don't know if you know the Plexico Burris story, but I he don't. had Tell a gun us. in his pants a few mo- about a month and a half ago, and the gun went off and shot a bullet through his oh, leg. Oh, was that guy? Yeah. So oh. he's and he's been in a little trouble prior to that, but uh, he's the guy who who made the catch that uh, that won the Super Bowl for the Giants that year, and then this year had some injuries, and he's had some other. Well, and by the way, what about that whole thing about about the Patriots? They did go seventeen and zero. No one had ever done it. But there's this thing about them, you know, stealing signals and doing all kinds of shady things. What, yeah, what are you I mean, weighing they, in that? they had been accused of, uh, of of having someone videotape the opposing team's coaches trying to trying to pick up signals and things like that. That was actually the previous year. Interestingly enough, the coach that accused them of doing that, Mangini, who was the coach of the Jets, he just got fired last week, so he's looking for a job. But um, they lost a first round draft pick because of that. Uh, Bill Belichick, their coach, I think he was fined five hundred thousand mm. dollars for that. Mm. So that that was a pretty that was actually a pretty big deal. But I don't, you know, they, well, usually what happens now is there are two or three coaches on the sideline. They're each giving a signal, and the quarterback is looking. I, I think it would be impossible to pick off signals. The interesting thing is Mangini used to used to be an assistant for Belichick. So he probably, if anybody knew that kind of stuff was going on, it would mm. probably be him because mm. he had been in that organization for quite a while. So uh-huh. he probably looked up, saw some people running some cameras and thought the worst of it and actually reported Belichick because of that. That's interesting. That's sort of like, that's part of the modern corporate world. I think there's just spying going on everywhere. It seems. I, I think you're right. I think, I think, you know, he has a whistleblower. That's there's there's kind of a creed amongst coaches that you don't you don't rat out your own. And I think <laughs> once he did that, I think that that was really his downfall. Not huh. a lot of respect from the other coaches at that point. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, let me let me ask you about speaking of Olympics. Uh, where do you weigh in on this this controversy over everybody having these high tech swimsuits now that get you through the water that much faster? I mean, they they I know they offered them to everybody. But I have, a, I, have, I have these doubts that the guy from Liberia is getting, you know, getting one of these suits. <laughs> well, I think the suits are around 4500 or $5,000 a piece. There were a couple of reasons that the swimmers were swimming so fast. That's probably the main reason is that, I mean, basically it, the, the, they have sca- – I mean, the, the aerodynamics of that thing, you are literally just gliding through the water and the resistance is so much lo- – yeah, it's – but that's ju- – I, I think that just comes with, you know, we're, we're in 2009 now and that's just a technological advance and – they, it, it takes them 20 to 30 minutes to strap those suckers on. And I suppose if, uh, if, 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 if you have a technological advance, it's available for everybody, then, then why not give it a shot? But I think, it isn't really available to everybody, is it? I mean, they say it is, but I mean, I just have a hard time believing a guy in Argentina swimming, swimming in, one of, in one of them suits. I don't know how they determine whether it's the committees of the individual countries. You know, can we afford to pay for this suit? Can we not afford to pay for the suit? But as you mentioned, it's it's it was very obvious that that had a lot to do with the records. The other thing is the two outside lanes for all of the races were empty. They didn't have racers in them. So the splashback of the water... Uh, during the, a typical Olympics, every single lane is, is, is full. Right. So you have a lot more backsplash coming into the sure. water, slowing people down. In China, they what they decided to do with their pool is uh, have nine lanes instead of seven lanes. So you've got two empty lanes, so there's not that splashback. The water's a lot smoother. The water was a little bit warmer. Um, they, they really set it up for people to just massively break records. It'd be like... Um, if they put little springs on all the shoes of this, I mean, they, you know, it's just, is it legitimate? I suppose it is, but it was absolutely set up so that every single, and, and the, the thing about it is records are being broken by like 15 seconds. It's not 0.001. It's like five right. seconds, 10 seconds, 15, 
ridiculous numbers, all all set up because that's what the uh, what the Chinese Olympic Federation was trying to do is they just wanted this to be spectacular. You know, here we are, we're an industrialized nation, and here here are all these wonderful things we've done. I know you can design pools too, to where you can put you know extra gutters in them. You can do all mm-hmm. kinds of things just just to really you know lower the times. Yeah, it was deeper too. It was a lot deeper than pools. So they just really had it all perfectly ready to go. And you know, you get a guy like Michael Phelps and some of these other guys who. Uh, have the suits on. I don't know if you have you did you see these the guys that the swimmers, I mean they're like the bodybuilders of the of the 60s and 70s. These guys are just you know, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm staring at the guys all day. I'm just saying uh-huh. I mean these guys are so <laughs> incredibly built. They're uh-huh. all like 62, 63, 64. You know, back in Mark Spitz's day, you know, they all had the mustaches to slow them down. They didn't shave all their body hair. <laughs> you know, these guys now, I mean it's just amazing athletically what, you know, what they look like and and how smooth they are through the water by, by the way i have to ask you about the story we heard that uh back in that era uh mark spitz had a mustache and he was breaking records everywhere and everyone wanted to know how he did it so he told the russians that the mustache was the key so the next year really? when the russians showed up they all had mustaches i'm not sure why anybody would buy that <laughs> that's that's uh, i don't think that was the key i mean if you think about the records that he broke and the technology that he i mean you know they just at, at that point just everybody in a speedo you know and he was able to do what he did the other interesting thing about mark spitz is he wasn't even he wasn't even invited to china uh they didn't have him as a commentator and i guess he was he was pretty upset with the fact that you know michael phelps never called him nobody He's kind of an egomaniac to begin with. Oh well, yeah, I guess. But nobody, you know, nobody was asking him his opinion, his advice when all this was taking place, when his records were finally broken. Well, you know, Sean, you, you know a lot about a lot of things, and we always manage to buttonhole you about sports. <laughs> but let's 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 broaden your and our horizons here, uh, looking back at this last year. Why don't you comment about anything you like? Are you really? You're just giving me well, a opening blank, the door here. Yeah, you're giving me a blank carte slate. blanche. Uh, well, let's see. I'm not a super political guy in terms of the election. I was super glued to the election. I spent more time on MSNBC than I ever have in my life, and I haven't gone back since. But I think when you look at what happened last year, I think that's got to be by far the, the biggest thing that happened. And hopefully guys like Rush and some of these <laughs> other guys, maybe this will give more fuel for the fire. Or maybe it'll finally shut some of those guys up. Although I'm not political. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying I hope it shuts people like Rush up. Well, I, I wouldn't lay too much money down on that one. <laughs> Especially when guys like Oberman and him, they've I saw that a lot of these guys just signed these big, fat, new three, four, five-year contracts. So they must have something to say. But 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 for me, you know, I think that from a from a, a national standpoint was probably the biggest thing. And, and some of his picks, some of his cabinet picks also have been a little bit surprising. So I think, is he going to be as good as advertised? I don't know, but I think based on his picks, he's doing the things he said he was going to do. So I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Well, folks are talking about him being you know, transformative, you know, in the sense that Ronald Reagan changed the the course of the that the nation was on, and and I don't know. There's a lot of hope for that. There is. I, I don't. You know, it's funny because everybody wants to put him on the same platform as some of these great people who've actually accomplished something. <laughs> But even he, when you listen to him talk, he gives a radio speech every Saturday, and sometimes I listen to that. He is by far the one who's saying, "I'm not your savior. Mm-hmm. Things are going to be tough." You know, mm-hmm. I've heard I, I heard some of these ridiculous interviews last year that you know certain people saying, "Well, 
you know, Barack Obama is going to come in and I'm going to have a job and my taxes are going to be lowered. And, and, and they just, they seem to think, you know, I'm not, I try not to use Messiah the wrong way, but they seem to think that he is this, this demigod type person who's just going to come in and, and, and wipe out our 16 gazillion dollar debt that all of the nations of the world are just going to love us again. Everything's just going to kind of be taken care of on January 20th. It's like we have a blank slate, and I just don't necessarily know if that's going to be the case. Well, we, we, we shall find out, won't we? This might be a good moment for us to, to put a plug in for a website referring to the outgoing president, which we've neglected to mention. Is this the shoe one? Uh, yeah, we want to recommend www.sockandaw.com, where you actually get a chance to throw your shoe at President Bush. In fact, I've got it set up right now. Here we go. And as you throw the shoe, you get to hear. Oh, sounds like it hit him. Got him again. Oh, missed. And every time the shoe flings across, you get the, the voice of the uh, the Iraqi newsman yelling. It's kind of like that game where the the rabbit comes up and you got to <laughs> pop him on top of the head with the mallet. Yeah, we want to thank Robin for sending us that and highly recommend you check it out, dear listener. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've got an opinion on this or not, but uh, we've kind of seen something of a, I guess you'd say, financial meltdown in this country. Mm, what are you late. talking about? I'm sorry. <laughs> Have you heard? I, I've heard something about it. There's been some trouble in Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> well, who do you blame for that? Uh, well, should we start the list? Well, who would you? Who would be at the top of your list? Well, Maybe our list is different. Well, I, I would think the man at the top, as Nixon would say, needs to bear the responsibility for what happens. I, you know, and I don't know if I agree. I, I think that someone who goes in and applies for a loan and lies about how much they they make and says I have a job when I don't. I mean, they had people that were teachers that were saying they were making $500,000 a year. Well, it, remember, it takes two people to tango. It takes the uh, the guy writing the loan who's going to, you know. Right. If they want to make you the loan right. and, you, and you say, yes, well, how much did you say? And the guy goes, <laughs> 500000 He goes, okay, and continues to process your loan. You see, my wife and I get into this all the time because I, I am of the opinion that uh, and maybe I'm just too much of a do-gooder. I really think that the people who applied for these loans are just as guilty. And the fact that they're looking for a bailout now, too, really makes me mad. What really makes me mad is people like me who actually were dumb enough to buy at the height of, mm -hmm. of all this, mm -hmm. but still struggle every month to make their mortgage payment mm -hmm. because I'm not going to walk away from a loan. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, Doug, I remember, again, and I don't want to age myself, but I remember there was a time in this country... Oh my gosh, I'm starting to sound like I'm from the 40s or something. Go ahead. But there was, a, you know, when you was right a, about this, it was embarrassing when you t to file for bankruptcy. It was, I never, my father would never have walked away right. from a mortgage. It was, right. it's not, I mean, you got people that are literally dropping off the keys, but not before they take the refrigerator <laughs> and the washer and the dryer and tear the cabinets yeah. out. And then they walk away. I guess the banks now are paying people not to pull crap out of these houses before they leave. It's absolutely ridiculous. It is. It is. It really. I mean, you talk about something that grates me. That that grates me so much because there. And then you hear the, the the stories of people who are going out and buying a second house while they're still in their first house. As soon as it goes through for the second house, they're dumping the first house because they paid too much for that house. So they're gonna that because they've already got the second house already financed. They're gonna go ahead and they're gonna default on the first house. It's just, it's stuff like that well, the thing that is, just drives me someone nuts. Someone has to set the rules up for how, how the game is being played. And whoever apparently set these rules up, I mean, it looks like it was set up by the Three Stooges. 
<laughs> I mean, it just it makes no sense. I mean, there's guys at Wall Street making money, guys in the real estate industry making money. Well, in California, I've been puzzled over this for years. I kept asking friends I know who sell houses, like, how can this continue? Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, how can we drive the U.S. economy on a housing market? <laughs> it sounds. I always thought it was smacked of a giant Ponzi scheme. I read a great article, I think, in the Seattle PI. They were talking to some of the uh, past Washington Mutual employees. And Washington Mutual, of course, is the largest bank, mortgage bank to ever, ever go under. And they were basically saying yes to loans. Literally, if you could sign your name and you had some source of identification, they would accept these loans. And these and and the the uh, the loan officers had a had a minimum of like eight or nine loans that they had to come up with a day, and that if anybody went to one of the uh, um, one of the managers and said, "Hey, I've got a question about this," I guess they were just absolutely berated. And again, it's stuff like that that really steams me. But I think people like like us, like homeowners, I think that they need to take a huge chunk of the responsibility for this because anybody who's stupid enough to think all I have to do is live in this house for sixty days and I'm going to turn around and sell it, or hey, look at well, this. That's, that's, that's the way they've been playing the game. Take a zero interest loan right. because don't worry about it. When it balloons, right. you'll be out of there. Right. But 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 people are finding it so easy to walk away, and that's the part that really bugs me. And from what I've been reading, we're we're also on the verge of a huge um, problem with with credit card defaults. And they're saying it could actually be worse than the defaults on the homes, where you have so many people that are so far behind in their credit cards, and they're just going to walk away. How about Bernard Madoff? He apparently is well. He's about fifty billion short. Yeah, he's a little short. <laughs> And uh, he's walk. He's out. He's not in jail. He's walking the streets. Uh, I guess somebody stole a statue of his a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and then put a sign on it and brought it back and said, "This is what you do after you steal something. You need to bring it back." Kind of thing. And again, I would say, unfortunately, I I, I feel bad for everybody who lost money. But again, shame on you when someone is telling you that I can offer you a twenty twenty five percent. If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. It's impossible to beat the market at that rate for that long. I mean, those people had their heads in the sand. And again, well, I But feel- then we've got people trying to blow the whistle on this guy. Other yeah, investors saying, true. this guy can't be doing this exactly. legitimately. He simply cannot. You must go in after him yep. because he's running. One guy said he's running a Ponzi scheme. Yep. And yep. he totally nailed it. And the SEC kind of went, yep. you know, just, just whistling away. Well, Sean, it's it's always a pleasure, and we need to have you back uh, regularly, I think, in 09. Anytime you need me, just give me a call. All right, we'll do that. That was Sean Minton, former broadcaster extraordinaire from the Pacific Northwest who covered uh, the uh, Seattle Seahawks, the Seattle Supersonics, the Portland Trailblazers, and was actually, for quite a while, a weatherman on TV. 